as Mrs. Freshour rightly said, our theme for tonight is the bread of life, which ran through all of these readings, but I'm going to focus on two words, two words, and they both start with the letter G, gift and grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. The first word, grumble, grumble, is a verb. An action verb for those of you in my language arts class, and we often use that as an action, and many of us are not unafraid to use it or to express it. We all know what it means to grumble, right? On the count of three, everybody grumble. One, two, three. That's not bad, but let me tell you, I know some eighth graders right now that could outshine all of you. Um, ITs, I know a few pastors that might win the cup on that. We grumble for all sorts of different things, don't we? Even the simple stuff like food or someone interrupting us or when our parents ask us to clean our bedrooms. I hear a lot of grumbling on that one, a lot of grumbling. And sometimes I hear it when Mrs. Pastor Rep says that of me, here to clean up the bedroom. Now, I want you to think right now about that one time over this last week you grumbled over something simple, one thing. Close your eyes if you would. Close your eyes and think about that one thing. Now, whatever it was, was it a gift for someone? Probably not. But we hold on to it, don't we? I think it was easy for us to think of one thing we might have grumbled over. might have been potholes. It might have been a lot of stuff. But that one thing that we hold. We might grumble over more complicated things like politics or a flooded basement or when our parents still ask us to clean our bedrooms when we're 35. Um, I want you to think right now of perhaps that one thing that was much more complicated you grumbled over this last week. Take a moment. Was it worth it? And as with before, was it a gift for someone? Was it something you held on to? Was it something you should let go of? The truth of it is, grumbling is natural. Part of the human condition, right? It's a way of expressing our honesty in certain situations. It's a way of saying, hey, back off. We might have a raging bull here, or I might need a time out. But grumbling can also be for more selfish reasons, or perhaps even sinful reasons. That verb appears, I don't know how many times in the Bible, but we especially hear it in this reading taken from Exodus tonight. Now consider this for a moment. God's people, God's chosen people, God's people that have seen all the ups and downs, the Israelites. They followed Moses, and they've just escaped from the hands of their oppressors and the wrath of Pharaoh. They were even led by God through the Red Sea with the hope of someday being gifted with the promised land. And instead of being swallowed by the sea, they found themselves on dry land, safe and secure, which should resonate with people of Elkhart County. And after the celebrations had ended and the waters receded, what did the people do? They grumbled. Even worse than perhaps 
what we might have just expressed of ourselves. So fair enough. Let's ask this. Why did they grumble? Did God ask the Israelites to clean out their bedrooms? Well, no. But the people were afraid. They were afraid about what might happen next, being in the wilderness. Nobody likes to be in the wilderness. Nobody likes to be set with a bunch of unknowns, a bunch of variables they can't predict. And perhaps that's fear. But it went beyond that. Perhaps they were grumbling over food. How would they survive? And that sounds fair too, but we need to take into account as we hear, they just didn't want just food as we perhaps had a nice meal here tonight. They wanted a feast with meat, something as slaves in Egypt they would have only imagined, only imagined. When you think about that, even the Passover itself wasn't much of a feast. Flatbread and bitter herbs. But this grumbling was more selfish even than just desiring a feast as opposed to just mere food. It wasn't just about wanting a feast. It was about expressing no trust, no faith, no purpose or direction. All that they'd seen God do for them. Through the plagues of salvation, they walked through the Red Sea, His guiding presence in the cloud, His justice for a promised land, yet they grumble because they still don't get it. And yet, God heard their grumbling. He did. He listened. And despite their disobedience, He provided. He gave them mercy. He loved them despite their disobedience and despite their lack of trust and despite their grumbling about being hungry and even grumbling against Himself. He gave them, He gifted them manna, bread from heaven, real food, real food. I think many of us wonder what manna was like. What was this like? How did it taste? It's described as being flaky, fine as frost, the bread of the Lord. But yet, as Mrs. Freshour reminded us, it disappeared in the morning. And maybe this is, again, where the gift of imagination comes to play. Hmm. Regardless, this manna fed them and sustained them on their journey through the wilderness, but only physically. The Israelites lived this out, but they, they suffered and they died. The manna only took them so far. It did not feed them inwardly. It did not feed them spiritually. It held no promise. It held no hope. Now, I've already used that other G word tonight, gift. After the days of Moses and manna, there was a long-expected hope of God providing a spiritual food that would last, a greater gift with a true hope, an eternal hope. This miraculous feeding of the Israelites pointed to the coming of Jesus and the gifts of salvation that He would bring us to feed His people even today. Jesus enters our world. And they're still grumbling when He comes. King Herod, grumbling. The Pharisees, grumbling about what this new hope might look like. Grumbling around every corner of the life, the path that Jesus sees as He walks around. And as Jesus begins His ministry, He does spectacular miracles, even miracles with food. But even the disciples closest to Him stumble and grumble, missing the point of why the miracles. You see, Jesus Himself is the new manna, 
Jesus himself is the miracle promised, the feast that will not only sustain us in this lifetime, but spiritually for us in life eternal. Now, it might sound confusing when you hear someone say, I am the bread of life. Jesus makes this clear when he is questioned about what is this all about? Why the bread of life, Jesus? And he says in return, truly I say to you, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now hold that thought. Hold it. When Jesus uses that word gives, that really means gifts. It's a free gift. God freely gifts us this bread of heaven, the gift given and received through faith. This gift is not a what, but a who. As Jesus continues to explain, he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And those who truly listen beg of Jesus, sir, sir, give us this bread always. Would you have said the same thing? Give me this bread. I want this bread. It's one of those few times in the Bible where it almost sounds like it's okay to be selfish, but they're not being selfish. They get it. And this is the great gift of the Eucharist. This is the gift and the promise the church is still called to celebrate, even in our complicated world today, to come together and to feed on Jesus as the bread of life. Jesus knows that we need to be fed not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus knows that we still live in a world with wildernesses about us and difficulties and hunger and conflict and grumbling and sin. Jesus knows that even us disciples today still have that same propensity to grumble and to do it well. Jesus knows we need strength. We need encouragement to refresh us on our way, even to be obedient in all times, even when the basement floods or the river rises and we think we're sandbagging it in in life, even to listen to our parents. Oh, and be obedient and do such things, even to clean our rooms. In the weeks ahead, we will hear a little more about how this great sacrament of the altar is so great a thing. The real presence of Jesus is the medicine for our souls of the faithful. For tonight, I hope we can rejoice. Even in Lent, we can rejoice and be thankful for such a gift given freely to us, a gift of health and restoration, a salutary gift a gift that feeds us so we are strong to go out and, and gift others in return, maybe even without a measure of grumbling in return. So I hope we can be like the disciples of old. And, and when we receive communion, put out our hands like this and be like them and say, Jesus, give us this bread always. We don't say that when we receive the sacrament, but we do say amen, don't we? We say amen, and when we say amen, we mean it. So to prove that to me right now, let's say amen. Amen. Very good. Very good. At this time, I'd like to invite, oh, where is she? Mrs. Emick Ford, as we continue with our RCIC at this time.